Hello and welcome to Web of Resonance. I'm Teresa Carmody with Elemental Journeys. And I am Ken the Runewalker. Welcome. And we're in the same room today. Yes, we are. Yeah. Together again. Yeah, which is, we've been talking for an hour and a half already. <laughs> and we're, you know. So we're primed. We're, yes, we, I, <laughs> I can talk and talk and talk, so... Um, yeah, neither yeah. one of us uh, have issues with the gift of gab, do no, we? No, uh-uh, uh, which makes a good storyteller. Yeah. And a good bullshitter. Yes. Yes. <laughs> one and the same. <laughs> so I was uh, on my way up here today, and, um, and I wanted to talk about real quick, the when you had asked me last week in the episode, what drew me to spirit possession? And I couldn't remember... What exactly had happened that kind of started it, the ball rolling, but it was about a year ago and we were doing like a, a psychic fair readings thing at the, at the Blue Antler and it was to raise money for doing Christmas for people. Right. Uh, those who are less fortunate or trees or whatever, whatever the thing was. Um, but I was giving a reading to a woman who would become, you know, a friend of mine and a, a brilliant energy worker. And she, she and I both felt, I think the entity that we were talking about, the ancestor that she has started to come through and not come through in terms of reading where, oh, that spirit is present. They're coming through. I can hear them. She started to come into one of us, one or both, into our body. And it was, I've never felt anything like that. And um, it was as though I was being taken over. Um, it was, it took me, it took me a week to remember the exact situation. But we were sitting there and she's also an empath. So I think she's, she began to pick up on things that were happening, but I was channeling this ancestor of hers so in, intently or intensely we were it it was as though in my chest it was a different it, it wasn't it wasn't anxiety it wasn't panic but it was Presence. a present it was a, mm-hmm. there was my body was shifting my body yes. was changing it was the most interesting thing and that's when um i i did a couple room castings for myself after that and uh, that was one of the things, that was the event that started that. So um, so for you, you recognize that you have the ability to be a channel for spirit in that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's brave that what you decided to do is try to hone that. <laughs> I mean, some people would have an experience <laughs> like that and go, fuck, No. Um, and that would be the end. It took her, be, because she began to feel what I was feeling, it took her a little while to kind of uh, settle yeah. from that. Yeah. Um, it also happened to me when I uh, did the house cleansing and um, I had to have uh, the woman with me pull an entity through me. Right. Uh it took me about two hours to kind of calm the fuck down. Yeah. It, 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 it didn't drain me. It shifted my... It, I guess it does feel like there's, for lack of a better term, two heartbeats. Yes. Like it's du- working yes. double. It was really... It's really interesting. I just thought of that. That was the other, only other time I felt... Um, that way specifically. I think it's interesting that you say that the first spirit that you are aware of channeling was a woman. And uh, when you described you felt a presence here, um, at, to me, empathically, what it, I was feeling is you were actually feeling what it's like to have breasts, women's breasts. Oh, that's interesting. There's a presence. Yeah. There. Two of them. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I'm yeah, sure it feels it's like just, more. Yeah, there's there's a presence. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I couldn't remember and then I did. Yeah. 
Well, and that's been, that's kind of been a theme that's been running through our last few episodes is, uh, about possession and channeling and, um, and it's appropriate since the veil is thin and, you know, it's the season of walking with your ancestors and seeing (laughs) them walk the land and saying, hi, how are you? And, you know, visiting with them for a while. I thought you were going to say that a thread had been my memory loss. <laughs> Cause that's, yes, that's been a thread of, mo- of many episodes of memory loss. <laughs> uh, God, what's going to happen when I'm really older? <laughs> well, you know, uh, if it weren't, we might just regurgitate the same stuff over and over. God, I hope I don't start doing that. I tell people. Or when you do, you hope you get a new audience for each new telling. Yes, exactly. Because what I do. T- <laughs> What I do tell people is I'm like, if I start to tell you the same story again, just say rerun. It'll be because rerun heard it. And I won't I won't get mad. I'll just stop telling the story because I don't want to tell you the same story over and over. So if you ever, you know, if I start to tell you the same story, just say rerun and then I'll stop. And I won't tell it because it's like, a you know, rerun of Mork and Mindy. Yeah, but sometimes reruns are fun. Sometimes reruns are good. And sometimes sometimes reruns will let you see things that the first time didn't. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they're not always bad. And I will say, to me, that was part of what the Bardic tradition was, was a lot of those stories were reruns, um, but it's like singing a cover uh, that, you know, if all you're going to do is sing it exactly or attempt to sing it exactly the way the original artist did, that's not really that interesting. But as soon as you lend your own voice and your own artistry and your own interpretation of the song, um, it becomes a whole new thing. Yeah, I agree. And so even a story that you've told before, sometimes it, when you're telling it for a different purpose, you... You highlight different things. And it's not a conscious thing. It's more like, oh, this is the point of my story this time. Yeah. Um, which, if it's a rerun for somebody, uh, like uh, my grandmother used to rerun stories. <laughs> um, and she may have had a different point in mind, but I stopped listening because I knew I'd heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new I can get out of that so one. So I didn't get anything new out of that. Yeah. That's funny. I think... Uh... I think that it is interesting because, you know, we're, uh, I'm taking your storytelling class, which we're going to go to in a little bit. <laughs> but um, when we've spoken about this or spoken about um, doing Web of Resonance live, yeah, which will be fun, uh, the story changes because the energy changes. The energies present change the story. Or change yes. the outcome or change the meaning. It's kind yes. of like a... And it's not like... It's not so much like one of those... Remember those you choose books? How you would get to the end of yes. the chapter and it says, if you choose this, go to page whatever. Right. Go, you know, it's not like that. It's just um, maybe the energies present bring a different theme or a different thread into focus. Well, I think that's exactly what our divination tools do. Yeah. Is that, you know, uh, we were looking at another deck before we started. And part of what we were doing is we were kind of looking at the images and like uh, discerning what meaning, what energies do we feel in it. Yeah. And yet we didn't actually do a reading. No. And as soon as you do a reading with them, they may tell you different things because of the context of what other cards are present with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's one of the things that I think we've, t- I've talked about, um, maybe not here, that would be a rerun. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I've talked about the fact that in learning to, div- to work with the runes for divination, the one thing I was always missing was somebody else to, yeah, in the, the, the energy, the context, the energy that provided the context for the reading. Yes. So it's like, I can throw them all I want and cast them all I want and pull runes all I want, but unless there's a context for them to if there's a stage for them to play on we don't really know right that's the hard part 
Well, and it's interesting that you and I decided to pull a single rune and a single card. Yeah. Uh, because the context we gave each other is actually my card is being pulled in relationship to your rune. Your rune is being pulled in relationship to my card. Yes. Like there's something weaving, even though we're using different tools. Yes. We're kind of weaving a context of how are these tools, uh, what is the story that they are weaving together? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's... it's um. I like doing it. Well, first of all, because I, I like learning about the tarot and, um, well, I like you, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ken. I like you too. It's, uh, it's, um, uh, the tarot, I will say that, uh, the tarot for me, I bought my first deck when I lived in St. Louis. Um, so that was probably 2001, 2002. And, uh, I believe it was the Rider weight deck. And that was the, my first kind of jump into witchcraft, mm-hmm. um, of course, for like most people, because I wanted to manifest more money. Um, and uh, I was like, "These, there's too much to fucking know about these. There's, it's, I can't. Yeah. I, and so, like, I, you know, I, they ended up being donated or given away. But uh, I like it because this is the best way for me to to do it. Like yeah. even, even, I'm sorry, even a card a day. Yeah. Oh, get to know your tarot deck by pulling a card a day. That's overwhelming. I can't do it. It's too yeah. overwhelming. And, and what it's, if I pulled a card every day and it's a different card every day because I'm just like going through the deck to get to know them, that doesn't really put it in context of the energies that are around. So right. with like with certain runes, there are certain runes that I, I don't normally pull um, or they don't kind of float to the surface. Um, but then all of a sudden they do. And it's because that energy is what's current. Right. And so it, it, it's, it doesn't allow for, for the context. Well, I think you and I have a similar thing. Um, and I don't think it's just you and I, I think one of the ways that you identify what your tool actually is, is when it's it can be a little bit overwhelming to get to know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I do encourage people when they get a deck, uh, uh, first of all, to look at many decks and feel the one that just feels right, even if they don't know why it feels right. And when they get to know it, think about getting. how would you get to know a human being? Human beings take time to get to know. They have many layers. There's a lot of depth. Um, and so if you pulled a card a day, know that you're going to get an overwhelming amount of information that's fairly superficial. Yep. Um, and if you want to know things in greater depth, uh, like a card a month would be awesome. Yeah. And plenty. (laughs) What is that? Like, like six or seven years worth of study? Yeah, but for so for me, what I decided is, you know, I played with the cards for a while. I uh, was using a book. Uh, it was also the Rider Weight that was my first deck that was given to me, um, and I would do the Celtic Cross, um, and I would always struggle a little bit. Like, what does that position mean again? Because I couldn't. It didn't. It's not the way that I would. Yeah. Uh, it's not the perspective I would take. And yeah. so I was always trying to figure out what is the perspective of this um, until uh, actually in my doctorate program, I was taking a contempl- contemplative psychology class and we were encouraged to um, have a practice that we had not had before. Now, though I'd used tarot before, what I decided to do was I decided that it was going to be a tarot practice. It was a different deck by that point. Um, One more resonant with where I was coming from. So it's a Celtic shamanic deck. Um, And what I chose to do was instead of like drawing a card a day, what I did is I just started playing with the cards, journeying with the cards, and I was asking the cards to help me find the spread that makes sense to the way I'm oriented to the energetics. Yeah. Um, and from that, uh, you know, I tried several things until finally I found a spread that, oh, that's the information that I want to know. When I start to have questions, uh, the information organized in this way helps me connect. Yeah. Um, and... 
And so for me, it wasn't about getting to know each card. It was about the cards also starting to play together in um, how can we form, uh, what's our form of communication that's going to help us build relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I think, I, and I, you know, I'm all about UPG and, you know, personal gnosis. And so I think that too often people think, well, that's not right because like it's not in a book, right? But or even the thought that you need a teacher to teach you a tool. Yes, um, I do think that that's when we get into uh, a lot of. I don't think there's anything wrong with having teachers. Right. Let me say that first of all. Yep. However, I do think that there are some things that if we are going to ask for or accept a teacher into our lives, there are some things that we need to recognize. Um, the first to me is that uh, I always want to eventually outgrow my teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and either that means, uh, usually that means, and I don't mean outgrow like um, I like it's a competition and I'm going to exceed their excellence, whatever that is. It's simply that I get to a point where my path of growth starts to diverge from what their wisdom is or what their teaching is. Yep. It doesn't mean they're less wise. doesn't mean they have less treasure to offer or less wisdom. It means that the direct, that I am meant to grow in a different direction to find my own wisdom. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I am aware that uh, the teacher-student relationship should have an end date. Yep. Um, the other thing is that... Um, most of the time, uh, I th- and I think there, there are some exceptions, but most of the time teachers are teaching uh, what they know in the way that they know it. Yes. Not necessarily teaching you how to know what you will know. Right. And I think those are, th- those are things that are important to remember about yeah. books and yeah. teachers and tools is that you can get a teacher for all those things, but that doesn't mean that you are necessary necessarily getting uh to the depth of the intimate relationship you can build with the tool no yeah no i i agree and i think that that's one thing that uh in my opinion a good facilitator slash teacher will do yeah is they might share their experience with you but they help and support you in facilitating your own growth and experience in that. So, you know, uh, we're constantly teaching each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. This is something I've been thinking about because like I said to you earlier when we were speaking, um, I found a a Northern Tradition shamanic apprenticeship. And so this is, these are things I've been thinking about. These are definitely... Um, you know, I don't always do super well being told what to do. <laughs> um, uh, surprise. I know. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that again and you can do your surprise face this time. You know, uh, <laughs> that, that's such an Aries thing. I'm like, yeah, I don't have a, in fact, I was just having a talk with a group of people the other day saying I never met a rule I didn't love breaking. Right. <laughs> it's true. And, uh. You know, I, I'm looking at this apprenticeship and it's really putting me into, into, into a space of thinking about, um, about what that means, what teacher student means, what, you know, what does that mean if I don't, uh, you know, um. If I do, you know, commit to this, if I don't commit to this, those type of things. So it's uh, this whole relationship actually is interesting because, you know, last week's episode, we talked about taking what we learn and then I named it where the rubber meets the road because it's right. taking what you learn and then because you had the page of earth and page of fire. Right. And that's when we start putting what we know into practice. Right. And so I think... um you know, I, I'm constantly, and I think we're all constantly on, uh, constantly, we are all on a spectrum, multiple spectrums of, I'm 
gathering information about this and now I'm going to implement it. Or I'm implementing all the information for this other topic because I've gained some of it. So not all of it. I'm implementing what I've learned. Over here, I'm still learning. So I haven't quite implemented that yet. So there's a lot to to always be taking in and then trying out. Um, And yeah, I think... um, can we pull? Because something, something caught my attention uh, across from us. Uh, so I think that we actually... Is something here that you would like to identify? I have or no idea. Oh, yeah, okay. I just, uh, yeah, I just acknowledge... I just, just know that happens to me all the time. The land here is pretty awake. Yeah. Uh, I interact with it uh, regularly. Yeah. Like, I cohabitate with the land. So the land is very awake. Yeah. Uh, there are also... Uh, um, there seems to be... I don't know if I've created a portal or if it's that time of year, uh, but different spirits who are not particular to me, who just seem to be in the vicinity, sometimes it's like living at a crossroads. You see a lot of yeah things move around. Yeah. Um, so we'll just hold space for if that being that caught your attention needs to uh, be part of the episode. Yes. Interesting. We can, we can let that... Um, if not, it's just, you know, I think it someone was crossing our path. someone crossing the path. I also yeah. think there was a little bit of a, uh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Do not, you? Yeah. Not in a, not what in What were you saying that you felt it was telling you shut the fuck up? Uh, I sometimes think that I overshare when oh. I need to hold my tongue. Oh. Uh, and I think it, it was, it was a moment of, uh, something that was, Catching my attention to distract me to stop me. Oh. Because I haven't... I may be so speaking a, out of turn. Do you have a helper that you've asked to help you edit when you feel you're doing that? No, but okay. I'm sure there's a list of people who have tried to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Can you make him shut up, please? Okay, well, great. I just want you to know that I'm not on that list. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. Lord. Okay, so let's 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 see what happens here. Do we have an intention or what are we doing today? What are what are we drawing our tools for? I I I don't have one. I, let's just uh, for me it's like okay, what's what's showing up? Be more specific what's showing up where? Uh, what? Like, what do the runes have to yeah, say to like you today? What, what, is there a contextual thing that we should be aware of that our tools are going to show us? Or what does that mean, what's showing up for you? I think there's a little bit of a... Um, how do I explain that? There's a little bit of a... There's an interesting energy surrounding us today. Okay. That, uh, I think it has to, I think it has to do with, uh, part of the storytelling thing too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's something that between what we do here and what we do there, um, is interested uh, invested. Invested. I think, or wants to become invested. Or... Well, then, then let's connect and yeah. let's uh, let's use our tools to try to connect and communicate with that and see yeah what that's all about. Yeah. Uh, also. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Yeah. How's Freya? How is Freya? That's an interesting question. Why are you asking that? That's what we talked to. We talked about her yeah. last week. Yeah. But I feel like oh do you think it's freya uh so i kind of feel a little because i was feeling uh brigade i feel a little giggly <laughs> so is she tickling you so so uh let me if i guess god we were supposed to pull like an hour ago uh so let me tell you i started doing a little bit more research about um freya after our uh episode and one of the things that she is um, a goddess of, or one of her many facets, 
is uh, material wealth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I was like, so not only pleasure, but fine things, monetary, like those type of things. And I'm like, well, I guess because I've been trying to figure out, I think for myself. She's mother. I feel her as... No, she's more sexual, isn't she? Yeah, I think it's she's... It's not mother-nurturing. Mm-hmm. It's it's like sexual and desire and partnership. And, yeah. Yeah, like the, the, the pleasurable yeah. part of life that's that's the the manifesting. But I maybe the even though she is connected to this, the cycle of the land and, mm-hmm. the, you know, the growth, there's a part of her... That speaks to um, <laughs> those pagans who are not earth fertility cycle based. And that part of her is the part that's about um, abundance, but in in more of like a, and maybe lavish is the wrong word, but it's like a comfort. It's comfort. It's pleasure. It's. Um, a chaise with <laughs> laying there with great, you know, like with grapes or like it's about comfort, I think. Comfort and pleasure. And um, that was a really interesting thing for me to uh, kind of step into that stream of because I hadn't really, um, I guess being, you know, a reformed Christian recovering uh i i am somewhat an ordealist so you have to go through something you have to pay the price uh and it has to be torture to to be to get Uh. anything out of it instead of this concept with her it's that it's a natural thing well and it's also a choice right so instead of it instead of your choice being focused on uh, when I make this choice, I have to give up these things over here. It's more about you have a banquet in front of you, and instead of looking at what you're giving up in order to make your choice, enjoy, savor the choice you make. Yeah, and yeah. you can have a little bit of everything. Well, you can change your mind at any yeah. time, right? You yeah. can change direction. There's, yes. there's very few things in life, actually, that I think that you can't... Um, Reevaluate and yep. choose a different direction. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I, but I think that that's that's a behavior that or a thought pattern that we have to. Well, remember. we do kind of think of commitment as being an adult, mature thing that uh, that is somehow necessary. Yeah, um, you're not an adult if you can't commit. Right. Right, kind of thing. Right. And I will say, I think that's changing. I think part of that has to do with uh, our age. We come from a certain generation. Yep. We're connected to the generation before us that certainly uh, a lot of their mores are being unraveled right now. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. So I think that the context we grew up in, the stories that we were told... uh, I actually, I, I'm proud of it. There are some things that our generation, I think, has really fucked up. Uh, but there are some things where I go, oh, you know, I, I can see how our generation did unravel a lot of the bullshit that we were um, indoctrinated with. Yeah. Um, and I can also see how as you get older, each generation does do that. And the generation for whom you do it doesn't always appreciate that. That's true. But I think that's also part of our indoctrinated story. I mean, we we have a horrendous story in our culture right now about how we treat people who are elderly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. We don't. We don't look for their stories. We don't want to hear about their lives. We don't. Nope. We often don't, and the thing is, is when I listen to uh, elder stories, one of the things that I'm really um, 
impressed by is how much the world has changed. That the world I live in is not the world that they live in. Nope. And it's not just a difference of perspective. It's a difference of time and context in that their life on this planet helped to make that transformation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Did that clarify us on what to pull for today? I, I still think that, well, it sounds like we got some kind of archetypal being maybe who's trying to help us with story, whatever that means, whether it's channeling, possession. I mean, there's a lot of different ways we've talked about finding the story and telling the story. I think I think I would like to understand or maybe kind of look into um, the way maybe um, that comfort and pleasure and and um, that part of storytelling. <gasps> Where where does that come from? Because right now we're just conveying, and actually, this is very appropriate for most people I know. They just want me to tell tell them from A to B to C to D, and then we're done. Like cut out the flourish, the flour, flourishes, cut out the 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 art of it. But I think there's an art to put back into the storytelling. Without oh, without yes, yes, Let's, absolutely. And what I just heard in what you said. We've been talking about Odin and uh, sacrifice a lot as part of, I think, Samhain and also part of uh, changing perspective and having transformation in your life. And there, again, there's no doubt that that's part of transformation. But the other part of transformation is also having the vision of what you are growing into. Yes. And that your choice is abundant. Yes. There's so many different ways that uh, you can grow, so many different choices. And so when you focus on what you have to sacrifice to grow, um, then you're kind of, there. energetically, I feel like, okay, there's a little bit of a, what do I, like, uh, I'm seeing a hot air balloon. What are the sandbags I got to cut free in order to be free? But that doesn't necessarily guide me in what I'm creating. No. It just frees me. Yep. And so the next step of that is to be able to start to create a vision or a dream that you try to uh, work your actions to move towards creating it. Yeah. And I and it's funny that, what was it, three or four episodes ago, we kind of both said that you might be a little bit behind the times with Samhain and your harvest. Yeah. This is you actually uh, slingshotting yourself past. Yeah. Because that part of... Um, <clears throat> Dreaming for me is when the element of earth moves from the tomb of release and harvest of Samhain and turns to now the uh, fertile ground in which to plant the new seed of hope and dream, which is Yule. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you slingshotted. Past a few things. Well, maybe. Well, but you also moved, right? So if you were living with the land, uh, which is where the Wheel of the Year comes from, uh, you would have already harvested and brought your harvest, and you've already transferred to a new land, which is this is where you're going to start thinking about what are the new dreams that I want to plant the seeds for. Yeah. And it's a whole new land. You can't plant the same seeds that you planted in Utah here. No, no. Yeah. In fact, it's not It's it's not even, uh, yeah, yeah, completely different. Yeah. So hmm. this is maybe that pivot point uh that when we move from the release part into the dreaming part. Yeah. The embodied part, knowing that there's an abundance. The sacrifice is not about the loss. The sacrifice actually creates the abundance. The harvest brings in the food. Yeah. Yes. Is that right? For what you were feeling and what you you were trying to voice your intention? I don't know. Probably. 
All right. Well, we've spoken a whole lot of words, and I, I'm yeah. holding my cards, and you're holding your runes. So I'm sure that we've imbued our energy into them. Shall we just trust that our think, tools will sort it out? Yes, I think. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. <clears throat> oh, you already have your card. Uh, there was one that just kind of jumped out at me. Wow, uh, a whole bunch are jumping out. Show me where you want to be. I like being in the same room. I do, too. Oh, you're getting a whole spread. Um, maybe. Nope. Nope, that's it. <laughs> All right. Which is, uh, so I'll have to even ask them what this spread is that they're trying. Yeah. I think that's the order that they, that they want to be in. Because you're uh but that's not a spread I typically use, so I have to figure out that, too. Okay. Okay. All right. Go. Hit it. Go? Okay. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Now that I'm watching this, I can't... I'm, I'm front row center. Okay, so I've got four cards here, and they line themselves up that there are three in a row and then one that's separate. And so I was just kind of projecting onto the cards and asking, what's the story you want to tell her? What's the framework of the story so I know what messages? And what I'm getting is I'm getting land, sea, and sky. So the first three cards are in order on the left would be sea, then land, then sky. Yep. So we're going to get an underworld, a middle world, and an upper world perspective of what we've been talking about. And then this card to me feels like the energy that is best for the querent or the person navigating those realms what energy uh, can you best hold within yourself to interact uh, most successfully with these realms? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going full on witch. Oh, that's <laughs> really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. What do you like? What do you see and what do you like about? So I think that it's funny that... This one that's in the position of sky is water. Yep. Um, and it feels like the one land is land, although she feels like she's underwater, although she has horns, so I don't think she is. And the one that's underwater is, um, is that a, oh, at first I thought she was holding a baby. It's a oh, wolf. Oh, it's a wolf. Don't ask me how I thought that was a baby. Because I have no idea. Well, you saw what you saw, which is interesting because the way that I would read these is uh, I do have a spread where I have three cards that represent land, sea, and sky. It's usually a more involved spread. So the way that I would read this is these are often messages from different states of consciousness or different dimensions or realms of reality. And uh, so it's uh, two of the cards are Major Arcana. We pulled in the Sea Realm the Strength card. Um, and so to me, uh, the question you have about storytelling or what we're talking about, about how to tell stories and how to bring artistry back, is that there is an inner deep strength that is needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that makes complete sense to me because I keep saying to our class and I always acknowledge for myself, the story that is the right story to tell is the one that scares the hell out of me. Yeah. So there is a degree of vulnerability that is actually necessary to tell a potent story. Yeah. Um, and something that people can connect with. You have to let them in. Yep. Um, so I think that that seems like a very appropriate card. Uh, the card in the uh, Earth realm is the moon. So it's funny that you kind of see that as Earth, although she looks underwater. To me, that's more air. Yeah. She's, you know, up in the sky. But the traditional um, interpretation of the moon card is about illusion. Yeah. And I actually really like that for what we're talking about uh, because I think that we tend to... Think of illusion as a negative thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's uh, it's oppositional to authenticity. Mm -hmm. 
and I think it absolutely can be. And I also think that there is a time when creating a, an illusion facilitates the authenticity. Yeah. And a lot of times I think that's what stories are. So when I'm telling yeah. a really vulnerable story, sometimes I'm looking for what is the metaphoric language to tell this story. I am creating a bit of an illusion, but the illusion actually facilitates the story that wants to be told. Sure. Um, and uh, what I find is there are times to weave the illusion where uh, that vulnerability... Uh, vulnerability is about being able to see something true or some uh, something authentic that feels really personal. When you put it in a metaphorical package, there is somewhat protection about self, but I also think the archetypal story can go, and it's also protecting from it being too much, my projecting too much onto you. This is the way you should hear my story. Okay. Or this is the message you should get from my story. Yeah. So illusion is, uh, I think it's a very tricky thing to work with uh, because your balance has to be really clear. Otherwise, it's very easy to move into something that feels inauthentic yep. or something that feels too raw or too personal or it's feeding your ego to tell this story as opposed to it's a story I really want to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. Um, and then the five of cups, this card... Uh, always reminds me. Do you ever see the animated movie The Last Unicorn? Yeah, but a long time ago. In the so in the very end, uh, the whole story is kind of like the the hero's journey, although it's a girl who walks it. Uh, but it's about how these magical creatures were uh, driven into the sea, and they now live in the sea realm. So humans believe that they're only myth and that they're not real. But by the end of the movie. It's like something has changed in the earth realm so that the unicorns can come back. Yeah. And the way they come back at the end of the movie is they're, they're in the foam of the waves. Oh, right. Yes. Right? And yes. the waves crash on the shore and the unicorns then jump out of the waves. Yes. And they create... It's, it's a story about reanimating uh, the magic of the world, the magical perspective of an animate living world. Yeah. As opposed to something dead that we walk on. Um, and so, uh, I think because I have that association and somebody else who would look at this card would probably get something different. It's the, uh, five of cups for those of you who do read Tarot. This card always says to me that there is a return. There's a high tide coming with the magic coming back. Yeah. She has my tattoo. Yes, she does. Right there. On yes, my face. she does. Yeah. Part of it. Yeah. I love that card. I didn't realize that that. Because I didn't look at what the name of the cards were. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize that the moon, that that was the moon card, the one in the land, the land section. Was it the moon card? And I think it's fascinating that she has antlers. And it's fascinating that there, there, well, there is a little sliver of a moon, but that's all it is, is a yep. sliver of, a, of the moon in the sky. And of the sky, like of the proportions of this card, the sky is, what would you say, maybe an eighth? Yeah, of the picture. Maybe. I mean, it's so minimal. The visual is so minimal of the actual moon for it to be a moon card. There is yep. something kind of weird and paradoxical. I do think it's really interesting that, that the light, the only round light is on the earth. Yes. Like right in front of her. Yes. We'll, we'll post these so you all can look at yeah. them. But they're, they're beautiful. Yeah. Interesting. I do like this deck a lot. So here is the attitude or energy of the... Qu Querent to best navigate this realm of energy. What did you just call me? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I called you a querent. 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 Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> ah yes. Oh, nice. So we I got an otter. And message of otter. Uh -huh. So this. Uh, I don't, I don't use the book for this deck, so I don't know what this deck would say. But the message for Otter, I do have a relationship with Otter in my shamanic practice. I used to go down to the beach with my drum, and many times I would encounter wow. otters just off the coast. Yeah. Um, and so I've had a lot of communion with them. 
And Otter Forever is saying to me, play, play between the realms. Yeah. That, um, you know, the way I came into really acknowledging and embracing that the realms are, are real was through fear and terror. Yeah. Uh, and it was an awakening that happened. And Otter is forever saying to me, that's not the only way to swim amongst the dimensions. Yeah. And Otter does it playfully. And in my experience with Otter, um, I always, there there were a couple times that I would walk the beach and an Otter would like follow just on the other side of the waves. Yeah. And I would continue to see it. Um, and so I felt connected in my walk. We were kind of traveling together. Um, and all I can tell you about that is that it was one of those feelings that uh, it was undeniable that there was a connection. And I would even, I would test it. I would stop and I would face the water and look at the sun setting or whatever was going on. And uh, the otter would always stop. Wow. And if it got like a couple, you know, swims ahead of me, yeah. it would like notice I wasn't there and stop and wait for me to catch up. Wow. Um, and I did play with it that way. And I played with it that way because I was like, okay, is this my imagination? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> right? um, it's only possible there. Right. Yeah. And I think no. that w that in part was the message of Otter 2 is that, well, maybe it is in your imagination. But look, I'm there too. Wherever yeah. that place of your imagination is, yeah. it's a shared place. Yes. Ooh. That was important for storytelling. Mm -hmm. The place of your imagination needs to be a shared place when you tell a story. Or by telling the story, you create a shared place of yep. your imagination. Yep. Yeah. There's an, inter an interesting... Um, I was telling you that I had gone on a, a meditation journey last night. And I... It's been a while, but I always go to a, a dark cave around a fire. Mm -hmm. So I think... In those, and I've had a few other instances or experiences like that, but it's I'm creating a space to go where I'm, ex, you know, inviting other beings to come in, and I'm we're experiencing things together. But it is it is creating um, a shared space for the experience. And when you decide that you want to tell the stories of those experiences, you are sharing yet another dimension, yep. no realm of shared space. Yeah. And you're also bringing an audience that you might be interacting with in the 3D world into the world of the cave as you tell the story. Yeah. And I think, too, uh, one kind of concept of storytelling is that we... Um, that I just was thinking about was it's always um, in a place of the past. But if we're going not back, but if we're going to this place, that's a shared space. Can we tell the story from a here and now perspective? Yes. That's a fast, that's fascinating to me. As a matter of fact, I actually think that that was part of what the bards were doing is that first you learn the stories as they've been told. Mm -hmm. That's the initiation of the bardic tradition. Yeah. You learn the stories as they've been told. Once you have proficiency in that, and it's usually somebody else making a, making a judgment about that. Somebody who had had to learn the stories themselves. Yeah. But when you know the stories as they were originally told, that means that you now have the energy of the story within you. Yeah. And now your subjective artistry is lent to, and now how do you express this? Yes. Yeah. So I do think, and I, I think that that's one of the things that uh, I really see in storytelling is I am often asking myself, the storytellers I really like, um, have some kind of archetypal energy to the story they're telling. So, you know, one of the things that I don't like about a lot of storytelling events that I've gone to is that I feel like I'm going and somebody's just telling me a memory. Yeah. And to me, there's a difference between the telling of a memory and the telling of a story. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think that's the difference, is that the telling of a story is something where uh, the memory might be like the foundation of it, but when I put my artistry into it, it transforms the story yeah. in some way. And that's Otter. Be playful. Be playful with diving into different realms, taking different perspectives. If you're going to shift perspectives, how are you going to communicate that so that people can follow you, be with yeah. you? Yeah. How do you, you know, do that parallel journey like I did with Otter with along the, the coastline? Like, how do you keep people engaged and it be playful? And yeah. And I think that's, you know, how do you get to be on that cheese lounge with the grapes? Yeah. You know, sacrifice is hard work. But the energy that you're moving into is you're wanting to move into something that feels comfort and playful and fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, what did you get? So, the rune that I pulled uh, was a rune that I actually have uh, pulled when I was talking about the... I was asking about the Apprentice program. Mm-hmm. I, that's That's my a lot of my focus at the moment, but, uh, is Avaz and it's the rune of the yew tree, the rune of the balance of life <gasps> and death. <laughs> so, um, so sometimes there, there, there are theories and thoughts out there that, um, because the yew tree comes up and then kind of goes all, almost all the way back down to the ground, it kind of creates a room or a, a space around the trunk where, um, and some of the yew trees uh, can produce uh, hallucinogenic gases that are poisonous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that then can take you on journeys. Um, so I think that there's something definitely uh, leaning itself, especially with the otter, uh, to bobbing in and out of the roots and the branches and the dead and the the living and like it, it's definitely the different realms yeah land sea and sky yeah moving into the different yes. realms yeah. it's definitely about um <clears throat> about telling i feel like it's not even about that i feel like it's about like the message of this is that th- Oh, how do I translate this? Um, I feel like there's so much more. Mm-mm, that's not even right either. Um, <laughs> there, there are a lot of things that need to be remembered. Maybe that's a good way to put it. There are a lot of stories that need to be remembered. There are a lot of stories that want to be heard. There are a lot of things that um, it's not just about me telling my story. It's about uh, facilitating yes a well a story that can be that's that's been told over and over. No, a story that's been experienced by many different people, but the telling of it then honors the story that the, the experiences they've had. But then also on a more literal. Uh, thread being able for me to allow for myself especially we've been talking about possession a lot yeah to be the vehicle for what that story is told well you know um i was thinking about the bardic tradition uh and within drudry and to me the way that i see how uh the Irish, the Gales, the Celts. Um, I don't know about the Celts, the Gales. Uh, told stories. Um, <clears throat> I think, well, the Celts were Druid too. Uh, is that the Druids were telling stories that, like, when I travel back in that particular branch with that particular energy, when I ask the Druids of ancestry to carry me back in their line, it feels to me like. 
it's like any other indigenous culture. You start telling the stories of the events of what's happening around you. Mm -hmm. So if you have a warrior who has protected your tribe or your clan or your family, your people, um, you are going to retell that story Mm -hmm. in part to honor the one who protected everyone. But also part of what happens when you pass on that story is you pass on what tools or what weapons or what strategies that warrior used so that now the collective tribe has those as part of their way way to protect themselves. Yeah. And that when you tell, so when you tell the story, it might first be about, hey, remember Uncle Jim and Winnie, blah, 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 right? But a couple generations from now, when those children never had a direct contact or interaction with Uncle Jim, the only Uncle Jim they know is the one that they've heard about, and they would have heard about him from various ways. Yeah. He now becomes less of a real person and more of a myth. Yeah. Right? And after several generations, he's no longer just a myth, he's a legend. Yeah. And after a few more generations, he's no more a legend. He's now a god. Yeah. And so to me, uh, what I see, and I don't know if this is true for any other culture's tradition, uh, because I only can follow the thread of what calls me. Yep. Um, is that to me, I can, I can see very directly how the telling of our stories created the archetypes, how then we have the power to change them by noticing different things about archetypal experience, but that we've also created the gods. Yeah. And how ironic that if we created the gods, that we would then create the gods to be in supplication to them. Mm, That's fascinating. And I'm not sure if, again, if this is my own kind of cultural perspective, but to me, that's not the relationship that I have with the gods. The gods of the Celtic pantheon, to me, they feel more like ancestors. Uh, And when I encounter them, they are constantly saying to me, I am not the god of your childhood. I am your ancestor. You don't worship me. You don't, you know, you don't have to obey me. (laughs) You know, don't come powerless. Uh, Meet me in your full power. Yeah. Um. And I don't know that that's true. I, In fact, I'm sure it's not true of every culture because I think that there were, um, there were things that would happen in the environment like eclipses or flash floods or volcanoes erupting that yeah. got attributed to we've angered a god. Right. Right? It's interesting, I think, that, um, like, how, uh, well, looking into... Uh, reading, you know, this book, yeah, drawing down this the spirits, the about spirit possession. They they differentiate with the gods, and you know what what are gods, what are demigods, like, and kind of look at it in different cultures. And it really it really is uh, one of the things that was talked about recently that in my recent reading was um, there's not really <laughs> they'll go through ways that you can kind of figure out who you're dealing with. Yeah. But really it comes through getting to know, just like you and I have gotten to know each other over the years. It's getting to know that deity. So it's really fascinating that, or that spirit, whatever it is. Right. um, Getting to know that spirit and seeing who they are, what they are, and and knowing that... um, that's what you have to go on yeah, and go off of. Well, and sometimes I think beings will tell you their story for you to be able to find what's the archetypal resonance, that there's a message to be passed on through a mundane story. (laughs) Again, uh, I've been left with a lot to think about (laughs) with everything that we've talked about because uh, I feel feel a bit uh full f- I do feel f- full. yes that's exactly yeah. how I fucking feel yeah. that's a thank you that is a very physical and beautiful way <laughs> to describe my feeling I'm just I'm writing my rune I'm drawing my rune on my wrist um real quick cuz I'm going to take it with me 
Beautiful. Um, so, um, we hope, I hope, I'm sure Teresa does too, that you have enjoyed uh, today's episode of Web of Resonance. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So don't forget that if you have questions, comments, um, experiences that you want to share with us, that you can do that by um, sending us a voice recording on Anchor or uh, emailing us at webofresonancepod, P-O-D, at gmail.com or by finding, following, and commenting on things from us on Facebook, uh, Web of Resonance there, too. So... um, I would love to hear from you guys, and we appreciate uh, you listening today. Yes, thank you very much, and uh, have a good week. Have a great week.